0: The first thing I want to say is that I don't want anybody to be offended by anything I say or anything that you say. What I'd like to do actually is to start off with a um, a music video. We're not going to listen to the whole song. I promise you that. And um, it's actually in 1984, Dee Snider of the band Twisted Sister wrote a song titled "We're Not Gonna <coughs> The music video of it shows Mark Metcalf as the father of five children who sits down to eat dinner. And he asks for the carrots, and then one of his sons asks to be excused. And in the next scene, a loud noise is heard coming from his upstairs room. And the reason why I want to uh, play that short video is because of the fact that there are three questions that Mark Metcalf asked his son. And these are the same three questions in a little bit lighter of a tone that I'd like to ask for you. That music video, because everybody remembered it from back in the 80s, and, um, and, um, and she wanted to ask us those three questions. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you want to do with your life? So, <laughs> the kid says, I want to rock. A mock Metcalf is forcefully thrown back through a window as the kid strums his guitar. Throughout the course of the song, all of the children are morphed into the five band members of Twist the Sister. Metcalf is thrown through three windows, thrown down a flight of stairs, as five rock band members slam into him as they pass through the door out of the dining room, and he crashes into the brick siding of his house as he attempts to reach and confront his son yet again. His wife sprays water at him for two or three times and he crashes to the ground, first with a bucket and then with the garden hose. So, this afternoon, I would really like to challenge you with these three questions Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you want to do with your life? I remember that even Yeshua asked that question to his disciples when he said, Who do you say that I am? When we look on Yeshua with the eyes of faith, Faith is seeing light with your heart when your eyes see in the darkness. It's interesting to note that there, that just as there are five books in the Torah, there are five ways that our body can experience its words. Here are some examples of how that can work: seeing, tasting, smelling, hearing, and touching. The first example of hearing it comes in Genesis chapter 4. Lamech is not the uh, father of Moses, this is the of Lamech, and he was actually uh, one, of Cain's, uh, uh, one of Cain's descendants. And He said to his wives Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have slain a man for wounding me, a young man for bruising me. In that, in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing <coughs> by the of God. See Out of the ground, Adam and I formed every animal of the field, and every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And then, in Matthew 5, even so, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Smelling Yaakov came near Yitzhak and kissed him. He smelled the hint, he, smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him. He said, Behold, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which Abonai has blessed. In Ephesians 5, Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, even as Messiah also loved you, and gave himself up for us, and as a, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling fragrance. Tasting The house of Israel called the name of it Anna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste was like wafers with honey. And then in Psalms 40 Taste and see that Adonai is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him and touching. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, this was Eve saying this, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then Yeshua said to Thomas, in the Gospel according to John, Reach here your hand and put it into my side. Without the use of our five senses, how else? Could we experience the Torah? Without using our senses, who are we? In Psalm chapter 8, we are given a beautiful reminder of what God thinks of us. What is man that you are mindful of him? In the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, yes and all the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Adonai, how excellent is your name in all the areas. Whenever someone comes at us like Mark Metcalf did in the video, think of Psalm chapter eight as a pop-up blocker against those demeaning messages that we let pop up. Activate your spam blocker. What you experienced in D. Snyder's video was a portrayal, a depiction, of what is described in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, as the wiles of the devil. When Rav Shaul, St. Paul, encourages us to put on the whole armor of God. Let the armor of God act as your spam blocker. When you feel like the condemning words of your friends who misunderstand your life, have cut up your spiritual skin. I have to be honest with you. I have a friend who does not like this place. And for years I heard only negative, terrible things about this place. I came once and... I don't remember when it was, but it was a long time ago. I gave God another chance for Him to tell me that it was alright. That I'm alright here and that I'm safe here. I am here to let people feel. If you feel uncomfortable, that's fine. If you feel at home, that's awesome. I can't let your feelings dominate how I worship. (coughs) I have since lost that friendship that I just spoke of. It's not fair in human terms, but it is under the timing of Anani. King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, and a time and place to everything under heaven. Although I am confident, with allowing my friend to have left my life under those terms. I also feel like I ran through the woods and ran straight through a briar patch. No, not that one. That one. My spiritual skin is torn in places because of what I experienced. So I've been here since Shibuot, and, um, oh, actually, because of that, speaking of that, Here I am, it's 1.18 in the afternoon, and um, yesterday, Al Roker just did a uh, world record for doing a... um, Weather cast uh, cast for 34 hours! hours. Yes. (laughs) So it got me encouraged and thinking. And an internet search seems to confirm that the late Baptist minister, Clinton Boce, holds the world's record for the longest sermon ever preached. I'm feeling inspired to just kind of beat this record. Anybody want to take a guess how long? 48 hours and 18 minutes. Held back in February of 1955. It is time for somebody to break that record. (laughs) So, now that I'm talking about spam blockers, (coughs) let me get this out of the way so you all know once and for all, how I got here and where I came from I was born on June 12 1974 almost in a Volkswagen bug we got to the hospital with five minutes to spare and I was born that night at 10:52 p.m. one month later on July 14th I was baptized at st. Joseph's Church in Massachusetts. so Roman Catholicism was all I knew for the first few years of my life but I knew what it was about I want to share something with you When I was three years old, I had a dream, at least I think it was a dream, that Yeshua himself provided me with communion. As I grew up in the neighborhood of Potiphar, which is in Situate, uh, it was evident that people had a strong commitment to their faith and service. Our neighbors, the Cetrachio family, always invited us, uh, the neighborhood, to participate in the gatherings at their church. I am indebted to them for their generosity because I was made to feel comfortable, relaxed, and safe in learning about my Savior through their activities. The summer after my great-grandfather died, we were not signed up for a Vacation Bible School. Anybody here heard of Vacation Bible School? Yeah. Anybody here heard of Summer Adventure? Summer Adventure was the whole summer long. It wasn't just a week for a few hours a day. This was full day every single day, including weekly trips to Brightman's Pond, field trips to Battleship Cove, the mansions in Newport. The mothers in this community went all out. Buses cost tons of money to take us on those field trips. It was never a burden. These mothers never asked for a penny, nor did they receive a penny for their whole summer of labor, of love. And as I grew, I kept in my Roman Catholic faith, Even if I didn't understand all of it, I knew the important parts. My grandfather was elder at Clayville Church, which was a Protestant church with a hellfire and brimstone preacher who pointed out people's sins. I only attended service once there and was so nervous that I don't even remember anything that was taught. About one week after I went to the service with them, I had something happen to me that brought my life down to my knees. I was hurt by three people who I thought were friends of mine. I write about this in a book that I'm actually uh, writing and I'm almost finished with and it should be ready to be either finished or published on January 3rd and um, i go with that. So for now, there's no need to bring out all the details. I will say this though, if God brings you to it, He will bring you through it and even if He didn't bring you to it and you went your own way, He'll still have an exit strategy for you. So later that evening, after I went to church on that Saturday night, I called my friend Neil DeGrade his brother Adam. Anybody remember those names? The DeGrade family? Adam <coughs> DeGrade from Lake 105? Uh, yeah. Yep. I called them. I talked to them about, um, about what had happened to me. And they took me to church, their, ne- their church next morning. The backstory about that is that I knew Adam a few years before when his life was in turmoil. I didn't know how bad it was for him, but he gave his life to Christ and he reformed. And I knew that is what I needed in my life. As I gave my life to Christ on November 18, 1990, just about 24 years ago, um, actually it was 24 years ago this weekend, I began working on what was my strengths. Singing happened to be one of those strengths. I grew deeper in my knowledge of of being a believer. To the point where, three months after I was saved, I took the time to be part of a search for maturity weekend retreat with the Catholic Youth Center. This plus my focus on singing catapulted me into an area where I excelled. I represented Rhode Island along with my high school in a competition singing in Quebec that year. When I got home from Quebec I got sick for three weeks and as I recovered I got an acceptance letter from the American Choral Directors Association Eastern Honors Choir. I represented Rhode Island as the only male vocalist who was able to attend. Later that year, I also made All-State Honors Choir. I also sang at church many times at 8 o'clock mass. By 1995, I was in a lot of pain, and I needed more than the Catholic Church was offering, and I explored other lines of Christianity. Because of my service, I naturally chose to attend North Central Baptist Church first, and I enjoyed what I learned. Now, uh, in fact, part of this teaching which I'm bringing you today is partly based on what I learned there. However comfortable I felt there, I was still missing something. I felt alone. Robert Williams once said, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. Well, as much as the people there made me feel as welcome as possible, I still felt alone. Because I had no other family there. When what my wondering ears should hear, my sister exclaimed, I'm going there. That is, she was starting to attend church again after like a 1,000 year sabbatical. It was so refreshing. She was going to a Methodist church that was like a cold glass of lemonade on a blazing hot day. It was not at all like the stuffiness of the priest chanting the same words over and over again. So I became part of that community. The time came when I explored many parts of Christian denominations. And I'll tell you why. Because I was looking for a strong community based on what I believed. And by doing that, I gained invaluable insight into what I was looking for in a community. (coughs) I went to churches that met in a dining room with three to 10 people, and I met in churches that looked more like a performing arts center and acted like it too. So that's where this part comes in about the spam blocker. This is why on Sundays I still go to a Catholic church. Here it is. One of the performing arts center type churches that I attended, they went out of their way to bash any type of typical Christian communities, claiming that church supper is not popular anymore as their excuse for why they opened a business and charged membership. The same pastor once preached that he figured that God must have a spam blocker for Catholic prayers because, in his mind, they were boring to him and he just marked them as pointless. Hearing that. I defended a religion that I did not understand always but I knew that it was a faith that stood ground. I had to relearn my Catholic faith as an adult. As an adult your faith means more to you than when you are a kid. I felt like I could participate more in what I was experiencing because of the journey that I took. But then the screeching halt came on and the brakes were slammed on. I proudly told the priest about my marriage and then he Then I was told, I was not recognized as married. I am like, what? It was one of those, who are you, where do you come from, type of moments. I walked out of there, I was disgusted. And I would not walk back in for almost five years. What made me walk back in? Again, it was the Catholic bashes spewing out hatred while they served the creator of the universe, speaking with a forked tongue. And that's why I'm here today. Because I've never heard a word of bashing of other people's faiths in this congregation. It's a great track record to have. I have to remember to like, put my finger where I leave off sometimes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. All, right. all right, cool. Um, you know, I would like to take you to. Uh, well, I don't really have it with me, so it's okay. I'd like to take you though to consider um, in Job in chapter 38 where God said where were you? you know, that was like a where do you come from type of moment. So I continue uh, to think about this. When I see what people believe that might be different than mine what I come back to is this. Who am I to know the secret mysteries? If I allow people to believe in if I allow people to believe it or if I participated in in it myself, is that people's judgment of me turning my back on God? Robert Kennedy once said, there are those who look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. I'd like to ask that same question, why not? Even though these are things that, you know, I haven't dreamed that never were, there are things I've heard about from people's, whatever people have said to me about it. So, who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you want to do with your life? So, I briefly told you who I am. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. You've heard part of where I came from. I described my upbringing on my family's farm, my Catholic faith, my experience with all of Christianity. So, how on earth did I get to Mish- Mishkan to be Messianic Synagogue? In June of 2009, I contacted my friend, Pastor David Sullivan, out of London. His ministry provides training and I was asked to write a treatise about Jesus in the Marketplace, social media as a ministry opportunity. I eagerly got started on it, thinking I would be done in two weeks. And then I began to research my family heritage. My great grandfather, Otto Stein, was born in Marthasville, Missouri in 1902. He was one of 15 children. All we knew is that he came up from Arkansas to help build the Citroët Reservoir in the early 1920s. He met my great grandmother, Lena Angel, and they had three children. I had no idea, but that summer of 2009, I began recovering my Jewish roots. The next year, 2010, we started going to a Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Foxborough. You know where I'm going with this.
1: One afternoon after the services, we took a ride out
0: to explore the town of Foxborough, and we saw a sign for a yard sale. It was just after Easter and just starting to get warm out. We found this yard sale in a field next to a red barn. It was just after Easter. Oop, I nearly said that. (laughs) We had no idea at first, but this was the last days of Baked Tequila. Did I say that right? Messianic congregation that we are experiencing. We met uh, Toby Hawksley and she told us there were a few other congregations in the area. I learned about Messianic Judaism because I wanted to experience what Papa Stein had in his life. A rich cultural heritage that had been misunderstood, abused and lied about. Judaism is in my opinion something that every Christian needs in their lives and I believe that every Jewish person He's a Christian in their life as well. I don't have a problem with what churches teach. What I have a problem with is what they do not teach, what they leave out, what they lack. Christian communities have a history of not truly understanding sometimes what salvation is about. Some pastors think that they can determine if someone will lose their salvation. Some people think that every sermon must be chiefly about sin and hell, while others have favorites that will have opportunities that other members of the community will not have. Chances that. Our community, in my opinion, is the definition of freedom of worship, freedom of speech care So we've talked about two questions so far. Who are you? Where do you come from? And I think now that we just have to figure out the question of what do you want to do with your life? I have an answer to that, and my answer is not right or wrong, and neither is yours. As I was driving up here a few weeks back, I was on Route 295 and God just, I feel that God just asked me, what do you want to do? My answer was very decisive, nothing. I meant no disrespect to God when I, in my reply and I don't feel that God was suspended. But the meaning behind what I felt was true. I wanted rest, I wanted peace, I wanted to think, I wanted to wait, I wanted to process, I wanted to explore. I wanted truth. The Hebrew word for that is emet. That's a lot. Asking to do nothing is asking to do a lot. I'm not saying I want to do nothing with my life. That's not what I'm endorsing at all. I do believe, however, that the answer to that question centers around truth. Truth in who you are, how you feel, (coughs) what you believe, be truthful about what you believe, let people believe differently and see if maybe you can find value in what they believe. And I say that, and I remember reading in the uh, Torah portion a few weeks, um, about a week or two back, and how um, Abraham got to the point where he was, um, he had to ask um, Hagar and his son Ishmael to leave because Sarah was just, uh, felt so threatened. And how Hagar in Israel just went out into the desert and just you know Abraham having to just basically say goodbye we'll see you again someday or maybe not can you imagine what that must have been like for Abraham and really think about what Abraham had gone through with that to just be seeing his son walking away from him and figuring that that was probably the last time he's going to see him and then take it from Israel's perspective too of basically just that That heartache, that pain. And that heartache and that pain just really ate him up inside a lot. But God still blessed him. God still blessed him as a father of many nations too. And, um, let people believe differently and see if maybe you can find value in what they believe. There's a whole world out there waiting for you. Adonai knew what he was doing when he created you. You are completely unique, original, you beautifully created. In case you're wondering, how can someone be Jewish and Catholic? You might not be thinking that, but you might run into someone who thinks that way. Here's what I would say to them. Whatever you believe, for whatever reason, is what Adonai has created you for. Old ways will open new doors. The time for forgiveness is now. Accept your forgiveness. Redeem the gears that were eaten away by locusts. As I and I spoke to Joel. Was that you? That's me now. Oh. You went that. You went the other way. Nope. Oh, you went that one. Yeah. Uh Okay. So I asked the three questions: Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you want to do with your life? And then those three words there, holy, holy, and holy, they're a little bit of a play on words. Because I heard about, think about holiness. First of all, you have holy, whereas, like Swiss cheese type holes. So think of your life, in a sense, like Swiss cheese. Okay? And all of a sudden, you just have all these holes. But you know, you think about something. Every pore of your skin is a hole. Every, there are millions of holes pouring out of us through, our, through the pores of our skin. And the good thing about being holy in that way is that you have a chance for all those holes to shine through the light of Christ. If you don't have the Messiah in your life, you're going to shine through whatever you have in your life through those holes. So you might as well have Christ in your life. The second holy is that we are wholly his. That we are completely his. And then, we work towards piety and holiness. And we become that holiness through Christ. Last thing I want to uh, discuss. Joel Shurnoff, um, is a messianic uh, leader, and uh, yesterday his mother was converted to glory. Uh, her name was Johanna, Johanna Shernoff. She was one of the first mothers of messianic Judaism uh, in the recent years. Anyways, it was called before that Hebrew Christianity, and she kind of came up with the uh, term messianic Judaism. And she just uh, went home to be with the Lord yesterday. Night. So, Mrs. Shernoff. Uh, may her memory be a blessing. And um, as as she was one of the uh, mothers of Messianic Judaism, I think a little bit too on the other mothers and great-grandmothers in our lives. When you think of when you think of Sarah, we just uh, commemorated her life today too. And um, you know my own great-grandmother. She was born 137 years ago, and um, if she didn't make the choices that she made, I would not be here today. Because uh, here's the thing is that when you're part of a family, it's so important to let your family know who you are. Because my great grandmother, name is Mary Wilbur, and uh, I, if my family hadn't cared enough to talk about her, well what would happen was that she was actually uh, one of the founding, well, I don't know about founding members, but she worked at the Providence Public Library. Anyway, so that's, uh, and then when I saw on Twitter the Providence Public Library site, I was like, okay, I'm gonna like this and add a commemoration of my great-grandmother. And that's how I ended up finding anything about this place. Like we'd not have given it a chance if it weren't for the people in this community that showed the true colours of what this place is.